0: Everyone. Yes. We're here. We made it. church. <laughs> Great. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, as Ben said, my name is Allison. Um, I have been coming to this church for three and a half years. Now, um, and you know, I I think just being here this morning and just reminded again of why I love this church. Um, ben talks about when we were back in the Rotunda Cinemas when I first came in, I didn't really know what I I found this church online and I didn't really know what I was gonna find. It's <laughs> a lot smaller than I thought it was gonna be. And I walked into this movie theater and there was just a few people up in front leading worship and I just knew that that Jesus was there. And he's still here, um, and I'm just so grateful for Ben and Rebecca and all of you who've been. So many of you who've been here since since I started and um, have come not long after me. And um, I'm so grateful for this community. I came to Baltimore and didn't really know anybody, and uh, it wasn't long after I started coming here, and now I have a family. Um, I I love that Brenda was talking about meeting Jesus at at a table surrounded by by her community, surrounded by the church. Um, that's one of the things I love to do, and just a side plug, I host a community dinner every Tuesday night at my house, for that purpose, <laughs> I, call it, I call it family dinner, you guys are totally welcome to come, any week, come and ask me about details, but it's about, we meet Jesus, and we spend time together at the table, whether we're talking about football games, or we're talking about work, or we're talking explicitly about Jesus, so, um, yeah, just to start with that. So as, as Ben said, this month we've been talking about spiritual disciplines, we've been talking about fasting, about giving, about prayer. Um, today I'm going to kind of take that to a little bit, um, we're going we're to kind of take another level and another layer to that, talking about, about calling um, and about stepping up and um, extending God's compassion to the world. So for me, um, this this means a career in public health. Um, I work in international development, and the programs that I work with um, serve millions of people around the world. And um, with you know health and development stuff, but it's also about building up the church. Um, so I am not a, a preacher, <laughs> but you got me today. <laughs> this is also too short for me. I'm great. <laughs> okay (laughs) so um just just as a a note at the end we'll i'll have a couple of minutes for um for questions so if there's anything that pops in your mind when i'm talking or you're saying what does that really mean or what is i don't know whatever you want to ask I'll i'll try so (laughs) at the very end um so let's um let's just start off in prayer this morning father we we thank you that you are here with us um, God we thank you that uh, that it is you speaking to us today God thank you that you are with us as we sing as we pray as we um, have community with each other God as we go into your word and so uh, we Lord we thank you that your word does not return void and so we pray that you would come and speak to us today um, through these stories God. Um, even that which might feel familiar, God, would you breathe new life into it, um, and would you um, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Um, so today we're going to open up the Old Testament. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Esther. Um, so we're we're going to go kind of deep. Um, I'm going to spend a lot of time in this book. Um but I promise that it's going somewhere. And um I I really love a good story, so instead of starting with my own, I'm actually gonna start with the story that we find in this book. So to set the scene, we are um we're gonna set the scene in Susa. And these are the ruins of Susa, is the capital of Persia, um during the time of Esther. Um and where the king, where the king was living. So, um, so just to this, I'm going to talk through a lot of the book, but I'm not going to read the entire book to you word for word because that would take more time than we have this morning just to to read the scripture. Um, but in the beginning of the story of Esther, King Ahasuerus, uh, your Bible might say King Xerxes, um, he's throwing this huge party. And he wants his wife to come in and display her beauty to all of the men that are there. The men and women have separate parties. This is against the custom, and so she says no. And he's been partying for a few days. He's probably a little bit intoxicated. And um, even though she's followed custom by saying no, he gets offended and angry, and he asks his his counselors what he should do. And they... Um, they tell him that she they, that she should be banished and that he should find a new queen, and so he decides to do so. So this all um, is a whole story in itself of injustice and and issues, but um, but it's um, the stage is set here um, for what is to come. So we're going to begin in chapter two, um, verses five through eight. It says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimai, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he, or also called Esther, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought into the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. So um, if you know the story, you know the king starts looking for a new queen, so he sends out this big call that all of the young women should be, should be brought in, and he can decide from among them who he wants to be his queen. Um, it's a complicated story, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Esther is an orphan. She's, um, she's probably in her early 20s at the oldest, um, and her first cousin has taken her in, Mordecai, um, you know, when I would hear this story when I was younger and until I was studying for this, I always thought that Mordecai was this old man, um, and just this old wise sage who took took in Esther. And then I realized that he's actually her first cousin. And so um he's probably not that much older. Maybe he's in his thirties or forties. Um he's not, you know, you can be widely related with age, but still, you know, he's probably not that old. Um so he's he's faithfully working in his government job. He's he's a scribe um, for the king, and um, as they live as Jews in exile in Persia, so they're already a a people group who is is marginalized. Um, but he has been trying to he's probably been trying to protect Esther from being picked up with all the other girls. And so when she's taken, um, that's surely really difficult for him. Um, and, but then, when Esther goes in, she finds favor with everyone in the palace, and the king chooses her to be the queen. So, meanwhile, Mordecai is—this is skipping quickly through the book. He—he's um, still working as a scribe. He's still working faithfully in his job in the courts. One day, he's sitting there and he hears of a plot to kill the king, and—and um, and so he passes the information on to Esther, and the plan is broken up. Um, the king is not—is not killed. Um, and so Morkai he probably doesn't have any huge allegiance to the king. If you're thinking about being a marginalized people group, you're working for this king who's not really yours. Um, so he maybe doesn't have a reason to do it, but still knows that it's right and that murder is wrong. And so um, so he, he saves the life of the king, um, and he's immediately forgotten. It's written down in the book, but nobody ever gives him the accolades for it. And five years pass. So enter this character named Haman. He's kind of the classic uh, bad guy in the story. Um, he is an Agagite. Um, so the quick background here, there's two things that that means. Um, that are significant that he represents. One, so as an Agagite, that's kind of a weird name maybe. Um, he's a descendant of King Agag, um, whose people were destroyed by the Israelites under King Saul. This is all in 1 Samuel. So if you if you read that story, you see that, um, that the Israelites were supposed to completely destroy this people group. God said, don't leave anybody alive. And um, the armies didn't really pay full attention to this order. And they left the best spoils and kept them for themselves. They kept the king alive, maybe thinking they could get more out of him or something. And Saul, who's the chief of the army didn't do anything about it. He didn't say, no, God said we have to do this, and so we're doing it. He just said, oh, it's fine. Um, and so this was the beginning of Saul's descent um, and the looking for for King eventually for King David. Um, but this is all to say, Agag went on to have descendants, and those descendants did not really like the Israelites. <laughs> um, and so he's also from a region of Persia that represents the, the gods of Persia. And so he represents this age-old ethnic conflict as well as a spiritual conflict. Um, so we're going to pick up in Esther um, chapter three, um, and actually I'm just gonna I'm going to summarize it for you, but it's up on the screen, um, three one through six. So Haman, he's the the king's right hand man, and when he when he walks through the crowd, he is supposed to be worshiped. Um, it's not just that people are supposed to bow down to him out of respect, but they're actually supposed to worship him. Um, and Mordecai is a Jew, and Mordecai recognizes that this is a, an act of worship, and so he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, Haman does not respond well. And he also, um, he he recognizes that Mordecai, a Jew, if he won't do it, then the other Jews probably won't either. Um, and so, He's he just can't accept that an entire people group would ignore his his authority, and so he goes to um, he goes to the king. Remember, he's predisposed not to like these people, anyways. Um, he goes to the king, and he convinces him to let him destroy all of the Jews, um, and he'll even pay the king to make up for the taxes—ten um, thousand silver shekels or something like that. So. Um, Later on in uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says, this is when he's um, saying this to the king, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from those of other people, and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with with the people as you please. So when Mordecai finds this out, he mourns. Um, He and his people are going to be destroyed. And so he goes to Esther. Um, he goes to Esther, and he and he tells her, "Esther, we need you to do something." Until now, Esther hasn't told anybody that she's a Jew. She's been protecting that. And um, and he says, "You know, our people are going to be destroyed." He shows her all the evidence, and. And she's like, oh, you know, people, everyone knows that if you go into the king's presence without him inviting you, then you can be killed on the spot unless he extends his scepter to you. Um, And um, they know that if any man or woman goes, um, there is but one law to be put to death, um, except for the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter to so that they may live. So he, she, says, she says this to Mordecai, um, and in, in chapter 4, they, they told Mordecai what Esther had said, and then he told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She's got messengers going back and forth. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, although it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So when Mordecai first came, Esther hesitated. Um, But Mordecai, he saw the influence that had been put on Esther. She didn't maybe see it in herself. She didn't have that confidence in herself. But he saw, he was able to see this bigger picture of how God had been orchestrating this the entire time. Um, How he redeemed these circumstances of a king's awful decision to banish his queen. um, To Esther being chosen... He saw how these things were all working together. And he tells her that if she doesn't do anything, the Jews will still be saved. So I always think, like, does he know something else that we don't know? But he knows, he he has this deep faith, this deep knowing of God's faithfulness. So he might not know exactly what it's going to be, but he knows that he can trust God to deliver the Jews no matter what. So this isn't a hope or a wish, it's a confident expectation that relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews um, from another place, and so maybe you've heard this phrase before, um, you know. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So Mordecai helps her realize um, that God has been God has been doing this. Maybe this makes you think about your own story. Not to say Not to say that that God is to blame for the bad things that have happened to you. Um, but rather that God can redeem those things and use them to move you into the destiny and calling that he has for you. So Esther agrees to do it. She fasts in petition, which is what Justin and Becky were talking about last week is one of the main forms of fasting we see in the Bible. Um, And she tells Mordecai to tell all the Jews to fast. So the entire people group are calling out to God. Um, And then... And then she does it. She goes to the king. Um, she on the third day of her fast. She um, she goes into the king, um, and while he's sitting on his throne, he saw her, and um, and he he gave he extended his scepter to her. So it's like, whew, okay, I'm gonna let it. Um, and he says, Esther, what's your request? Should be given to you up to half my kingdom. Um, and and she says. I'd like to invite you to a banquet. Now, if I were the person, I'd probably say, fall on my knees and say, my people are going to be killed. But she says, I would like to have you come to a party. And um, that tells me that she she knew she had something going on. Maybe in that fast, God told her what to do. <laughs> um, so, she doesn't come right out with it. And, you know, I always thought that this was timidity. I thought in my own brain of, you know, applying my own experiences, oh, well, you know, I'd be really scared. And so, Maybe she's just like, well, I'll hold a party and then I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but then we realize that Esther has already said that if I perish, I perish. She's already committed to doing this. So even if she's experiencing some fear in the moment, she still knows I'm doing this. I said I would. Um, I know that, that this is for the sake of my people. It's not just about me. Um, she seems to be waiting for just the right moment for a sign. Um, so she has a banquet for the king and for Haman, she doesn't, um, and she doesn't get the sign. Um, so she invites them to a second banquet. Um, and so this is the next night. Um, and at that time, she finally tells them at dinner um, what will happen to her people. This is in Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went in to feast with King Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said again to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people and for my request. For we have been sold... I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is is he that has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. And then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. So King Xerxes has Haman killed um, for for this, um, and Mordecai, who in the meantime has um, the king has remembered that um, he's looked back at the books and seen what Mordecai had done that he'd saved his life. He's honored Mordecai. He's he's lifting him up to higher position, um, and he he has Mordecai take Haman's place. Um, he's finally. Um, been remembered and the king gives authorization for the Jews to fight back against their oppressors. There's great rejoicing um, and all all these people turn to faith in God. Um this so it's in chapter eight verse seventeen. It says Um in every province and in every city wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Okay, so when you read this, it's like, oh, they're just scared, and so they convert. Actually, <laughs> um, in the studying that I've done, found that that it was—it's more of a fear of God. Um, it's not just a, oh, I, if I don't, if I don't convert, then I'll die. But the fact that Haman, who um, Haman who had now been killed. He he didn't he the fact that he represented remember the kings or the the gods of of Persia and of Media the local gods Um, so when he was killed when this happened they realized wow this god the god of the Jews the one true God is the one true God he conquers our gods and so they turn and they and they become Jews and this is. one of, if not the only time in the Old Testament where mass conversion happens. Um, Because to convert to Judaism, there's a physical cost, there's a physical change that has to happen um, and sacrifice. Um, But um, when the Persians, they see that representation of their gods were conquered by the one true God, they turned. Um, So why, Allison, are you telling us this story and going on and on forever? Um, is it because you're a woman and we feel like we need to talk about more women in church? Yes. Maybe. In <laughs> um, the Bible. Doesn't Pastor Ben do enough of that? Actually, he, I'm really grateful uh, for how much you talk about women um, and, and the stories that, of women in the Bible. Um, that's, those aren't the reasons. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk today about this question. What is your yes? Um, so we see we see a few things in Esther. Um, Esther was picked up from obscurity and from orphanhood, and God used her to save for people. She um, she was chosen in a very um, unjust way, and and there is a lot of issues behind the way that she became queen. Um, but God still used her. Um, maybe she was feeling very timid, but she took a hard situation that she was given and she, she stood up. She still did it. Um, she gave up her plans for her life. Um, maybe she thought that she would be, you know, living, living in the Citadel of getting married, having a family. Um, maybe someday with the hope of being able to go back to Israel Instead, um, she embraced the situation that she had, and she was able to find favor with every single person that she met in the, in the king's house with the king. Um, God found She found favor with them. She gave up her life. Um, she was willing to perish, to expose herself, and to speak for her people. She waited on the Lord's timing with the king and Haman. She said yes to um, to following what God was telling her to do. So whether she felt like, oh, God is telling me to do this or just having that prompting um, that, okay, I need, to, it needs to wait another day. Um, I need to have, you know, a second banquet. And in that meantime, I skipped over this whole section where it talks about how all of these changes happened in the meantime where, um, where Mordecai was glorified, where Haman, um, there, all these different things happened. You can go back and read it. And and Esther didn't let her past re-victimize her and hold her back from the big thing that God had from her and from using her voice. Then we have Mordecai. I think that Mordecai doesn't get the attention that he deserves because the book is named after Esther, Um, Esther who won a beauty pageant um, and she God gave her that beauty and she used she used the position that God gave her, but Mordecai. Um, he knew it was right and he did what was right. He was a prophetic voice for his people who were trapped in injustice. He got justice for the king um, but he didn't give up his faith to bow down to Haman when he was supposed to be worshiping him. Um, he kept at it. He was working um, working in this you know this government job working in the courts the fact that he was forgotten. Um, tells you but he kept going. He was faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful. He he took in an orphan. Um, he um, it doesn't say that he had a family, but he took in an orphan. He'd been faithful in the past in raising Esther. Um, he remained faithful in his work into obscurity, as we talked about. Um, he trusted God that that God would use Esther even when she ended up being put in a situation that he wouldn't have chosen for her. He saved the king's life. He chose God when it was against the law by standing up to Haman. um, And he used his influence to speak up for the welfare of his people. This was before and after he got this position as second in the kingdom. Um, He advocated for the voiceless to Esther, and he, he knew where to go. Um, he was able to pull that out of Esther, even when she didn't see it in herself, um, to call her up to, to her position. And then when he became second in the kingdom, he he again continued to use his voice um, and his influence for, for justice um, and um, the protection of the Jewish people. So both Esther and Mordecai said yes to what God had for them to speak up and advocate for their people who are going to be destroyed. They said yes to the point where they were willing to give up their lives. Um, and the result? The result is that the Jews were saved, um, and they got their own justice. Um, that They influenced a king to the point where Mordecai was given the signet ring. I think we talked about that with, with Haman before, but um he was given the sign- signet ring which which represents the voice of the king that's this the royal stamp you put on an edict that goes out and so it's it's like saying that we have the, the king's stamp of approval on anything that we do um, and there was a mass unprompted conversion of the gentiles um things that don't really happen in the old testament all these people came to god because they cuz they Saw the power of God through the work that they were doing, and the and the fact that they spoke up. So, God wants your yes to Him. So maybe the question is, what is your yes? Who is your yes? Where is your yes? Um, maybe this gives you a little bit of direction. Um, in Micah chapter six, verse eight, maybe you've you've heard this this verse before. Um, it says, "He has he has told you, O man, what is good. But what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God." I love in um, in the Amplified version. It says, um, "To be just and to love and to diligently practice kindness and compassion." Um, and to walk humbly with your God setting aside any overblown sense of importance or self-righteousness and this is what the Lord requires of you see it says what does the Lord require of you these are, these are those things so maybe I can tell you a little bit of my story um, so uh, I'll get to what this picture is oh, okay. <laughs> what's going on um, so when I was when I was in high school um, I was reading a book while on a mission trip and God turned on a light bulb in my head um, as I read about Mother Teresa's work in India I was not going to India at the time um, and I realized that my lifelong dream of being in medicine um, wasn't just a thing for me to make me feel good about myself um, but it was a passion that God had given me to use to serve um, now I was in high school I didn't have any of these skills yet um, but from then on, I saw the world differently. I, I saw poverty, and God showed me his heart and his love for the most forgotten corners of the earth. Um, and so I said yes to this thing that I believed God had, had given to me, and I pointed my life plan and my college choices um, in the direction where I could do that. So at that time of my life, it was, okay, What what, do I, what are the next steps that I need to do? Choose the right program. So when I was in college... I was preparing to go to India because that was where God was calling me to go uh, for, a, for a six-month um, stint on my own working with a community health project. And as I was on, as I was preparing, it was in this process of writing a paper that God did it again. And this is really funny because I'm a very experiential person, and so the fact that these first two very clear instances for me were uh, while reading and studying. <laughs> it's like a little bit unexpected. Um <laughs> But as I wrote about health and, and women and children, my heart changed again. I never wanted to be one of those people who just says, I just only want to work with women. I said, no, I want to work with everybody. There's, everybody has these, has these issues. Um, but I want to work with the whole family, and in many ways I still do that. But um, as I did research and I learned about the plight of women around the world as they're pregnant and as they have babies, as I learned that... Hundreds of thousands of women die every year in, the, in that process. As I learned that 25% of those women live in India, where I was about to leave for, um, something broke inside of me. And it was like God said something to me in that moment, he, that those women, that those were the ones that he had for me. Um, when I lived in India, he brought it home, and he explained this more through a couple of friends. So this picture is in India. This is a, a grandmother and her little grandson our generations. So I had two friends. One, um, her name was Pinky, she lived next door. She was, um, she was old to be single. She's about how old as I am now. And, um, and while she was a teacher, she could care for herself, um, but she so desired to become married for, um, for the ability to have a safe place in society. Um, and to know that she would be protected. Um, but at the same time, she was engaged to somebody who she did not want to marry. Um, and so it was this this very hard balance. Um, and the other was was another neighbor of mine whose name was Sarita. Um, Sarita had three little girls, and she was praying for a boy because that meant that she could stop having kids. Um, and <laughs> as much as she loved her children... Um in, in India often you have to in, in many other parts of the world until you get a son you you have to keep having children and so I knew so many families that had so many daughters and then they finally had a son and then they were done. Um, and so while I was living there, my my neighbor um, she she had a miscarriage um, and she lost a little her, her little baby um she was still probably in her first or second trimester, but she wasn't. It's still it's so it's so difficult and so painful, and it was at the point where she hadn't told anybody yet other than me, um, and so I didn't really know how to fully engage with her on that. I was this college student who was the only white person in the entire, probably, region. <laughs> um, but, but those two women, their stories um, expanded this view. They brought a face to it, um, and help me to see how God sees each one of them um, and His heart and his love for them. So my path didn't end up the way that I thought it would. Um, I didn't become a doctor. Um, I'm not living in India. I live in Baltimore, Maryland, the last place I ever thought I would live. Um, but um, right now I still work with I work with moms, um, mostly talking about the health of their children. Um, But my path, which is still very much underway, um, it's been paved with a thousand yeses. And I think that is something for for all of us as we look back at our lives. Um, For me, it was saying yes to Jesus when I was three years old and I gave my life to him. It was yes in the hard times and the depression and loneliness that I faced when I was in high school. It was yes to this very scary but very big dream of stepping out into something bigger than myself of working around the world um, and seeing seeing people become healthy and whole. And it was saying yes to being redirected when God told me to do something different um, instead of going into medicine to doing public health. And that was actually, it took me not getting into medical school for... For God to, like, he had to really hit me upside the head for me to realize that it wasn't what I wanted to do in the first place. Um, And that he had something different for me. So today, the Lord has taken that heart for justice and compassion that he gave me all those years ago. And um, I get to apply it by doing some really amazing work around the world. And sometimes it looks glamorous for my social media. um, But... Also, if you follow me on social media, you have hopefully seen pictures of me covered in mud because when it's the rainy season and I'm very uncoordinated, I like trip and fall everywhere, and so it's not very glamorous. <laughs> Luckily, I get a lot of laughs out of villagers when that happens. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, I've also I've also said no. Uh, my path has not been perfect. None of our paths are. Um, Lord knows, all of you know, in fact, that I'm not perfect, that I still have to learn how to say yes every day, um, whether it is about being faithful in the most mundane parts of my job um, or being faithful to the people that God has given me here in Baltimore City. Um, and, and here I want to say that much of this work is just that, being faithful to the Lord and the thing that he has given you. Um, Gary Haugen, he's the president of the International Justice Mission. Um, He calls this the long, boring road of justice. Um, It is knocking on doors over and over. Miss Millie knows a lot about this. (laughs) Um, For me, it is reviewing budgets or um, looking at numbers over and over to make sure that we're counting the right people. Um, To make sure that we're reporting with integrity to our donors or putting in really long hours on proposals that we don't know if we'll win or not. but the prayer that God gave me a long time ago, which I still aspire to, is that God would make me as content if I am working in the bottom dungeon dredges of a building, filing paperwork until I'm 85 years old. Um, if that is my yes, as if I'm, as if I was living in some amazing place, um, living in in the middle of India, working in the community every day and seeing. People healed, saved, delivered every other second. Um, because I know that in either place, I'm fulfilling the calling and the yes that God has in my life. Um, so I want to be content in either place if that's the yes that God's given me. So in the Bible, we see um, we see a lot of yeses, um, and I, this is not a complete list. Um, Joseph, he kept faith in God even after he was sold by his brothers, falsely accused, and jailed, and he saved his family from starvation, um, even though they were the ones who put him in that situation. Um, Noah said yes to God about building a boat on dry land, even when he was ridiculed by his neighbors. Abraham said yes to God when he told him to sacrifice his only son, the son that was the fulfillment of the promise God had given him about continuing his line. Um, Rahab said yes to helping Joshua and Caleb escape even though she wasn't a Jew um, and she was rewarded by being in the line of Jesus Boaz said yes to being the kinsman redeemer of Ruth um, whose husband had died and who was living in a land that wasn't hers and they were also Jesus' ancestors Um, Esther said yes when it could have meant losing her life Mordecai said yes to speaking out when no one else would and by refusing to dishonor God Daniel did the same, and he was thrown into the lion's den for it. Mary said yes, even when the idea of being pregnant before she was married meant that she could lose everything. And Joseph said yes to God, um, to Father Jesus, and trust Mary, even when all circumstances pointed elsewhere. And Jesus said yes. He said so many yeses. Um, He said yes to the Roman soldier um, whose son was dying. To the sick, to the bleeding woman who just touched the edge of his cloak looking for killing. Um, The Bible says um, that when Jesus saw the crowds and he saw these people, he was moved with compassion. And he did something about it. He didn't just see them and and was moved for them and then he, he moved on. But he stopped. He used the gifts that he had to do something about it. And then Jesus said the ultimate yes. Yes to giving up his life for us. So what does this act justly, love mercy, walk humbly thing look like when God hasn't called you to pack up and move to Indonesia? First of all, if he has, then we should talk. Um, but maybe, maybe this yes that he's given you um, is, is close. Maybe it's a bit farther away. Maybe the first question you can ask is, who does Jesus have compassion on? And where is he highlighting that for me? Um, maybe it's your colleague who's driving you crazy or your neighbor who, um, who chats with you every day. Um, maybe it is family that you have who's struggling. Um, maybe God is giving you a city or a people group. Um, maybe he's already given it to you, but you aren't quite sure what you're supposed to do with it. Um, maybe you're trying to figure out what that next step is. So, where do you start? We can start by praying. Um, maybe that's the church answer, but I think it, it always works. Um, pray and ask God for help and for wisdom um, to show you what is it that gets you excited. Where does God break your heart? Um, to look at what you're good at. What are you passionate about? What's something that really? Um, what is that thing that really gets you? Um, For me, it's the health and wholeness of women around the world. Maybe for you, it is, um, you know, those kids in the street who are having a fight and who you maybe yell at, but you also want them to know Jesus. Um, See, consider, look, and think about if there's a way for these things to come together. What are the skills that God has given you? Um, Even practically with my work, I need people who are good at finance. Holly does that. I need people who are good at marketing. I need—we need people who can do human resources. There's practical ways you can do this as a job, as a calling, as a as a, as a vocation. There's other ways that you can do this, working with um, working with specific organizations, or just saying, "I know how to do this one thing. I can do this in my neighborhood, in my community, with these people." Um, so as you think about what you can do, think about what God's giving you. Pray again. Pray about. Um, what it is that you're actually supposed to be doing in this season. Um, maybe in this season it's preparation um, for changing to a new career. Uh, maybe it's supporting justice and compassion work around the world, or maybe he's calling you to step um, to step into it yourself. Maybe it's um, it's using some of those disciplines that we've been talking about for the last three weeks and applying them here. It's praying for somebody, uh, for something. It's fasting for something. It's giving courageously of your time, your energy, and your money for that thing. Um, and and maybe if you um, if you think about this and say, "Oh, I already know kind of what these things are." Maybe this is an opportunity to go deeper where you are. If you're already doing it, you're already in this work. This is something I have to consider a lot. Um, maybe you're heading up a farm. You're teaching. You are leading a justice initiative in the city. Um, take time to reevaluate and ask God if there's something more that He wants you to do, or some more He wants you to go deeper or to focus differently. And then we surrender our heart, our pride. Um, it is not always glamorous. Um, it is that long, boring road of justice. But trusting that if this is the thing that God is giving you to do, the people that He is calling you to, that being being willing to step out and do the things that are not the most fun but that, that somebody has to do, um, that that means of service maybe that's something that, that God is calling you to. And it might all not be glamorous, but I can say that it's worth it. I believe that Jesus is calling us all to compassion work in our own way um, to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with God in our workplaces um, in in the way that he's calling us to but consider just take some time, we're going to take this time this morning to consider about whether um, that's something that's supposed to be maybe a little bit more than what you're doing right now or with more intention in your workplace um, God wants your yes um, whatever that looks like, and He will be faithful to it, and He will do it. Um, so, I'm just going to take a quick minute to um, to pray and respond. Um, maybe if, as you hear me talking this morning, um, you're thinking, you know, I am really stuck on that that thing about God redeeming my past. Um, I couldn't really hear anything after you. <laughs> after you were talking about that because there's stuff that is really hard um, maybe it can take this time to allow God to come in and to, to speak to you in those places and show you how he's been there and to show you how he, he can use that in your life and um, in the world uh, maybe it's you feel like you need to ask God for a people or a place you don't know where your yes is right now Sometimes it changes in every season, in different seasons. Um, maybe it's asking God what you're supposed to do um, with those that that yes that He's given you. What's the actual practical step? Um, or maybe it is asking God what He says about what you're doing, or do what He wants you to go on with next. What does God say about um, about my work on budgets and my proposals that I'm writing? He usually says. Good job. Keep going. I know that it can be really tiring sometimes, but keep going. Um, maybe he says, "Go a little deeper in this part." Um, so I'm just going to pray, and we're going to take just a minute um, and wait on the Lord um, and just see if he highlights anything to you um, as you as we prepare to go. Father, thank you that you are good and you are kind. And God, that you have given each one of us a purpose and a place and a yes, or a thousand yeses. God, I pray that no matter where we are this morning, whether it's um, needing to be re envisioned for what we're doing, or just finding what it is in the first place, or, or seeing. Uh, where you've been with us in the past and how you're moving us forward. God, wherever we are, would you come and would you just speak to our hearts, Lord? Um, show us what that that step is, that place, that people. Um, show us what your heart is, Lord. Thank you that you had compassion on people and you did something about it. Help us to see what that is. Father, thank you for the the things that you're speaking, the things that you are doing in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would you would seal those things up, that you would continue to be at work in us, Lord. Keep speaking to us this week um, as we go out from here. That we would be able to to see what that big picture, that big vision is, um, and Lord, that we would we would. Cling on to your grace to walk out in that thing that you've given us. It's not about us, we know that, God. It's about you, it's about what you're doing. And so we submit to that this morning. Amen. Great. Thanks, Ben. Um, well, I've gone over, but if any of you? <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, shocker. Um, I—if any of you have any questions, I can answer one or two uh, this morning. Maybe I've talked your ears off enough, but I'm open to any questions. <sighs> Learning how to live with the awkward silence. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna gonna call that it. Um, okay, great. <laughs> well, thank you everybody so much for coming this morning, for um, for letting me share, um, and for being such an incredible community. Um, we have um, plenty of snacks in the back and time to to share in that community with each other. Um, we're so grateful you've been here, and we um, welcome you back next week. Thanks. Go and peace.